commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. From Starlight Beacon, I'm Greg Scottback, and you're listening to Core World News, your holiday news share of in-depth coverage of the latest stories from around the galaxy. Welcome to a special Starlight Beacon Bulletin. And now, for your hosts, Ben Van Adam, to review the latest High Republic books and audio drama. All right, thanks very much, Grex. Everyone, yeah. uh, welcome to episode 204. I don't know, today, we don't usually say episodes on air, but 204 sounds awesome. Just it's a lot of episodes. It's a lot of episodes. Halfway to 408. Yeah. Halfway to 408. Here we come, baby. Third yeah. of the way to 612. That will be our last pillar, 408. <laughs> yeah. Our last pillar. Hopefully. 408, yeah. <laughs> those, 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 really... those few listeners who are just waiting for pillar episodes are furious with <laughs> <laughs> I hope people know it's the thing I'm most proud of on this podcast is our filler episodes. We haven't done one in probably a hundred episodes. I hey. also feel like they should be tidier. There's sort of there's so many you know what? Like, I've, pillars should be like five pillars, you know? Have you guys been have you guys watched Galaxy of Sounds yet? No. Because each each episode is it's sort of a pillar in a lot of ways. Are you talking about the Mark Ronson one? No, no, no. The 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 actual um, the documentary on the sound sound design of Star Wars. It's on Wait. Disney Plus now. It's what? called Galaxy oh. of Sound. Oh, no, each each episode each episode is like is is titled Connection, Dark Side, uh, Light Side. You know, like Hope, like all these really really fun titles. One mm. Wonder is a title, and it's sort of you know it's these sort of feelings that are relayed through the sound design, and they take out all the dialogue and they take out. John Williams' beautiful score, and you just get to hear the sound design, and oh, uh, cool. they're spectacular. Um, That's really cool. I highly recommend that. Watching. I didn't know yeah. that was a thing. Yeah, definitely check now that I know it's there. Um, my wife bought me an awesome book that really just focuses on Ben Burt, and um, it's like a coffee table book with sound effects. It has buttons and it plays sounds <laughs> for like That's each chapter. Awesome. Um, but, which but, the, but those chapter but titles does it do, have? do sound like pillars. They do sound yeah. like pillars, and uh, you know. I wonder what they use. I, I think for us, it's just like there's these facets of Star Wars. Like, well, that has to be in there and that we love. And they are all in everything. They're like cross-cutting concepts, if you will. To steal a term from Edutopia, which is George Lucas's education platform. Anyways, they um, there's a lot of them. There's just a lot of things we like. But I think you could really distill it down to like five, certainly less than 10. And I think we're at like 12. I think we're at four. Ben, are you saying you want to start over? And uh... let's start it over. <laughs> that wasn't. But maybe we got that's two hundred and four to go. Um, so for ben, so we're blathering about this administrative no, no. detail right now. I, Look, go to I our wanna, Discord yeah. channel. Adam yeah. did this awesome infographic for what we've done so far. We sort of outlined them, but the ones that we do episodes about usually they explain expand a little bit because we sort of get into the subterranean levels of the concepts and. Um, how they focus, but uh, a world between uh, worlds, if you will. Yes. Yes. Totally. Um, so two love things. Love. One, Ben, that Ben Burt book doesn't have the Indiana Jones punch sound. Um, I don't recall. I can I can right. pull it down and well, and let me know because Actually, I would just sit there. It would be an awesome sound all day long. Spot. I could just like yeah. hit sounds. Yeah. yeah. What am I doing? My, my favorite sound effect in. All of movie history is Indiana Jones punching. Yeah, just it's I mean amazing. Yeah, I mean 
Harrison Ford does throw one of the most, I think, iconic punches in cinema, yeah. cinema history. Like it is, they do. Sometimes they make contact and they look real, and sometimes he's like a foot away <laughs> from who he's hitting. Yet yeah. the sound design oh, still sells the sells the action. Oh, yeah. so. It's like a gunshot. Yeah, every oh, yeah. time it's amazing. <laughs> uh, second thing is, I don't think we have a ton going on next week. Do you just want to call a pillar episode while we're here? Let's, let's do, do a pillar next should, week. Should yeah, we hash out the, uh, the list right now? Like, what, what do we got? What do we got left? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. Okay, so we, we now have the lists in front of us of our pillars, because there's a lot. Um just going to run through them right now so everyone can tell this is this is the list we came up with these these pillars are designed to be elements of star wars so if you were a new star wars storyteller coming into this you'd be like well i have to tick off all these boxes next to all these things they're the pillars of star wars right so we have uh the hero's journey out of galaxy references that's a, see that's a kind of necessary ensemble cast alien worlds swashbuckling the force mentors good versus evil honor what came before presage what comes after always expand wars in the stars aliens monsters and droids legacy and family and then government politics economics and trade as one four-headed monster <laughs> yeah i do love that topic though because i think politics is huge in star wars like i just watched the george lucas john stewart interview from way back the other day and yeah george desperately wanted to get on the daily show and and talk with john stewart really and just be there just because he knows he he kind of believed in what um the daily show was all about and he, he it's i and that's what i sensed you know from him wanting to go on the show and it just seems like you know i don't think you you need to go on that show when you're someone who's created one of the most iconic kind of indelible right you know classics of of, of all time in, in film like he wanted to be there. He wanted to talk with him. Um, I think he's very politically active, you know, um, you know, under the radar. But politics are huge. Like, I think George always loved politics, incorporating politics in Star Wars, talking about politics. Yeah. Yeah. I can't I cannot wait to talk about that. Yeah, that'll, that'll be a good one. Um, we already did Aliens, Monsters, and Droids. Yeah. We did do uh out of galaxy references uh we focused in on films um that's right oh that you mean like out of okay not extra galaxy episode no like out of it because i think what we did was if i'm looking at demographics like we did world events world events politics history myths fairy tales and religion as part of it like we did these like subheadings that probably could get absorbed by uh what comes before presage what comes after but i guess that's in that's in galaxy yeah here we go and if you want to parse yeah on the on the on the the board the whiteboard for the the project luminous meetup for the higher public initiative uh that whiteboard remember we had all we all like freeze framed that and like yeah took down some of the notes yeah. from that and then we incorporated that dinosaurs, into our, right? dinosaurs. Pil- our, our, yeah. our pillars list um one thing they had was any genre fits within star wars or any genre any genre fits inside yeah as, as a kind of a phrase just to like just to just to relay the the fact that any you can really tell any genre story inside of Star Wars. 
Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of a pillar in itself. It's kind of genre storytelling. I think that was, that's a good paraphrasing of out of galaxy references, arguably. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, would, what, I would switch that to genre. Yeah. Well, so we included a lot more than just genre in that in that category, a lot of subcategories. So, right. Are we doing by, re, right now? <laughs> by redoing that, we then are going to actually expand the number of categories we have. I wouldn't mind doing Alien Worlds because I think that's a nice placeholder as we kind of. I think we, the list. we did it. Alien, we alien did, did we do Alien yeah. Worlds? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, did we do droids? Yep. Yes. We did. We did. Uh, What's your third okay. choice, Grant? Let's uh, here. Um, I got to say, maybe good versus evil. I love that concept because I feel like a lot of people are obsessed with the gray and the sort of more complicated... Um, morally ambiguous sort of storytelling, and I like to dive back into the classic sort of like good versus evil. Um, okay, yeah, I, 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 I can, I because that was the one I was wrestling with too. I'm like, oh man, that's so broad, you know? It's like, but what storytelling doesn't have good versus? I mean, I guess it's amazing. It's part. it's like when it doesn't have it, it's uh, deflating yeah. and kind right. of cynical and and modern. And then when it does yes. have it, it's big and it's operatic and we're just like out of our seats, you know? So it's so, like, so I, <laughs> I would love to get into that. Yeah. I think we can totally do it. Cause I have some thoughts about how star Wars does it in a unique fashion. Right. Totally. Yeah. I in mean, a nuanced fashion. I think they're really the like leading the charge in terms of new ways to explore that dynamic in an age-old way too there's a kind of there's the mantra of you know the duality of light and dark that's just kind of baked into star wars yeah there's a very modern version of it happening right now and we're gonna talk about that more in the um in the books we're talking about because i think tempest runner is a classic example it really Uh, is it really is it's fascinating how much how how well they're humanizing these the villains and the, the sort of who you're meant to think of as the villains or the antagonists Uh, all right, so let's let's do what we came here to do, which is talk about High Republic um, and Kevin Scott's audio drama. Um, first and foremost, because this is a massive body of work, um, this is Kevin Scott's Tempest Runner. Um, really interesting new, like whole new media here. What did you think of? Did you enjoy listening to this as opposed to watching it or reading about it? Oh, I thought it was the production was gorgeous like beautiful sound design um loved all the enhanced effects sort of uh moments of action you really music the the music uh the voice work everything was just splendid um loved it like i thought it was just slightly higher production value than the the audiobooks i listened to normally and and mark thompson obviously was returning for the roles he does in the audiobooks and his he's just done such a great job with Markian Rowe and Panada, and yeah. um, and now I'm learning he did he does skier too. So that's yeah, and skier so yeah. cool, so cool. His skier was great in this. Um, yeah, there's that. There's a, so there's no narrator if you haven't listened to one of these before. It's just dialogue. It's a yeah, it's an audio drama full of sound effects and played by different actors, and it's great. What do you think, Adam? What did you? you I, I mean, we've done like what three or four of these now? Yeah, I think this is the second 
the second one after Jedi lost, after right? Jedi, Jedi lost, lost the Count Dooku. Um, but I, I tend to, um, about half of the books I tend to listen to, um, just because sometimes when we're doing this for the podcast, I just sitting down and reading a book is a, it envelops all of your time as opposed to now that I have a kid, I'm doing a lot of dishes and other things. And you can listen to an audio book when doing dishes. So I've been listening to a lot of these and I, I really am enjoying this. And, and, um, I was about to say, you know, this is gonna make me sound like a nerd, but we're on a star Wars podcast. Uh, but what, but <laughs> when I, that's out of the best, yeah. uh, but a different type of nerd. When I was a teenager, I, um, <laughs> I, in the nineties, I was a hipster before they were hipsters. So I liked all things retro. I had a pocket, you know, in those cases, like everything okay. old was cool. Um, but one of the things I did love to do was listen to old radio dramas. And I used to listen to the Dragnet radio drama a lot. Like it was just on CD. Wow. Like I just really got into this world of just production of radio dramas and this kind of lost art that was there and really enjoyed it. And so these books are kind of that, right? Like you don't have, as you mentioned, Ben, you don't have a narrative that's slightly different than those audiobooks where you're reading a lot of the exposition, you're hearing a lot of this. And, I, and I'm always impressed with the authors in these radio dramas have to write everything through exposition yeah. and sound design and, and and trust the listener to follow what's going on without having all of that all of that extra text that you get in a book or an audiobook. Yeah, I was thinking about that the whole time. I was like, how are you writing this? And it's it's very clear to follow. And there's like, yes, there's some obvious beats where they're like they had to do a thing or put in a yeah. phrase to sort of keep the keep the story going. But it's really easy and enjoyable to follow. It was a lot of fun. I, I had this uh, I went down to Connecticut. So I had a, a long trip, like two and a half hours there. So I knocked out, you know, 90 percent of this audio drama on that trip alone. And it was so fun. Um, it's I think Audible might have grabbed me this time. Now I'm like. I like having a book just playing somewhere. It's better than, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the alternatives. I mean, podcasts are great, uh, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, it's careful. nice to listen to a book. There's so many books that I want to read and I can't yeah. and like some of those, like Robert Jordan probably be that, you know, wheel of time would be a great audio book, you know, oh, sure to grind. Yeah. Through. Um, but I just uh, wish I more time. I would see. highly recommend the dark tower audiobooks are really good. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the oh, yeah. narrator. narrator. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and fantastic voice work from Jessica Almasi. She voices Lorna D in this uh, audio drama. And I think it's safe to say, I mean, um, I guess from now on, we'll probably talk spoilers. I don't know if you guys. Yeah, let's, let's break I, I, it, It's kind of hard n not to talk about spoilers when it's not a lot of plot progression in this book, but there's a lot divulged about the past, um, the history of the Nile. Um, Asgar Rowe, Martian Rowe, stuff like that. Um, so just uh, right now, we'll just mark it as a spoiler wall. And then uh, yeah. after this, we're just going to go all in on this review. Um, yeah, so Jessica Almasi does uh, voices Lorna D. She was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Orla Cassidy as Ola Hest was really, really good. Like really iconic. Awesome. Fantastic voice work from, from her. That character was really, really well designed. Um, just uh, Jonathan Davis as uh, as yeah. Rowe. like mm -hmm. wow, great, great work. Um, yeah, and just and Dan Bittner as Counselor Wittick, like they're just some of these characters are just so iconic. It was nice for all of these characters to get a very unique voice because obviously in the audio books we normally listen to, you know, people like Mark Thompson are voicing all the characters, and it's yeah. nice to get that differentiated sound from each of the characters, and it feels very. 
it, it really makes the story feel like uh, it, it's it's there's more scope to it. There's more scale. There's it, it feels like you're in the galaxy. And uh, it's Star Wars is the perfect place to do that because you're, you're already de- devoting so much sound sound uh, sound effects to the the surrounding ambience of ships and being in hangar bays and being in cantinas and all this the, the chatter and the background effects and then just to get the differentiated characters was huge and so this really came to life and i felt like had the perfect ensemble agreed yeah i i just loved it and just having access to that entire sound and music bank is just right yeah i'm surprised they didn't use i mean if you can use john williams i would use it the whole way through but they did a lot of custom music um in Mm -hmm. this and a lot of different styles which is fun um it was cool but they did a lot but then every once in a while like they only use the like press the john williams button for like really emotional moments yeah yeah Yeah. i i also think it's funny because i listen to a lot of these you know a scene is epic when they pull out Duel the Fates because they yes. reserve <laughs> yes. the use of that for sparingly. Yeah. Like it's very important scenes. Like when that would kick in, whenever would be listening, like, uh Oh, I need to really pay attention because stuff's getting real. Yeah. There's yeah. going to be opera singers. And now that we're past the spoiler wall, Opo Rancisis guys. So we get some pretty yeah, awesome we do. Opo Rancisis uh, beats in this story that I loved. Um, Lorna D was like, uh it, it was traveling all over the galaxy and this it was almost like uh uh it, it was just uh, she was she basically like had gone from the jedi to the to the this incarceration vessel you know back to the nile like it, it's just like she just gone all over this all over this the galaxy in this in this story i didn't expect it to travel as much as it did um what did you guys make of her journey in this story well so she you know I'll just I need to have structure here. So like in brief, she essentially starts from. um, She's attacking a waypoint of the right of the republics um, under Martian's command. The Jedi blow up her vessel, kill most of her crew and take her captive without knowing they did without you know, thinking that they they killed her. And then she's on a. she gets put on a prison ship and a lot yeah. of this takes place on the prison ship, but the prison ship is just like a roving, you know, um, like help unit and like housing, housing building unit. And they, yeah. um, uh, yeah. So they stop in various planets and they don't know what the planet is, which is kind of interesting, um, but aggravating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I want to know all the places. So in that, so she, she moves a bit, by means of this prison ship which i actually i love the idea of a prison ship in a book i was like oh this is this is yeah, cool. yeah it's, that, it is a cool idea yeah the correctional vessel the restitution um <laughs> yeah loved loved that ship um loved the counselor war well, wittick the, the the character yeah. that's sort of trying to help lorna i don't know just find find goodness and yeah um progress and sort of you know, not fall to her vices. Uh, I, I really, really liked that character quite a bit. And, uh, and you kind of have hope for Lorna D to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, even though in the beginning of this book, you see sort of this proclivity she has to like, um, sort of like turn the tides of, of conflict whenever there's like multiple motivations at play in a room, like she'll be like, Oh, there's these people want to take out Asgard row. These people, want to mine this spice and i'm not going to tell my 
uh, my father's coming. He doesn't want anyone right. to mind the spice. And, and then she'll just, she'll just basically turn the tables when you're least expecting it. Um, and it kind of plays to that un, uh, unpredictability of the Nile, the, uh, the, the, the sort of chaos and the, the, it sort of shows the the organic, you know, arc of that character to to become this sort of um, devious leader that she is uh, as a Tempest runner. Yeah, I mean, we this is a full Lorna D origin story. Yeah, and it's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't think it, it would start with like a you know princess. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it bounces back and forth between two or three time periods, right? Like right. It's, it's, right. Yeah. Oh yeah, because it's also what her. Is, well, what is her father's into, title? Like the keeper or something? That sounds right. Yeah, I believe he's so. like a baron. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said princess, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, royalty, local royalty. Yeah. It's not. You know, it's always these hard scrabble people that sort. But this is how, you know, a great house family could turn to crime. And be great at it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there were a yeah. lot of politics there. I really liked the the exploration of the riots against the kind of the government on Ryloth, and I guess yeah. I guess like the the people were suffering, and the government wasn't helping them, and, and it's just it, it. There's a lot of pal- politics jam packed into that that portion of the book, especially, and yeah. um, it'd be fun to re to re listen to it all and kind of get a feel for what the galaxy was like, especially for Ryloth. It was a pretty uh, clear political statement that they were making that too. Like it, it was it was ambiguous, but it was interesting. It was like they, you know, it, the family was an ideologue family, and you like sympathize with them. He's a you know the Lorna D's father is like a real leader and like leader of the people and wanting to make money the right way, but he just can't. There's just there's not enough sustainable resources and right. people are starving, and you know one's not necessarily related to the other, but it's just sort of like. And then, he wanted to compromise on morals to keep the, you know, the place running and get people fed. And she immediately got taken advantage of um, by other people that aren't afraid to take advantage of people and compromise right. their morals. Um, and it was that was a really cool. Right. Message. And the, the, the neighboring world, Zygeria, sort of stooping low right. and, and, and slavery was still a practice on that planet. And yeah, just terrible terrible things sounds like zygerians like, have been slavers for thousands yeah years. yeah yep they're just like we're just there's only one slaving nation and it's we're just gonna hang the, all the responsibility on the zygerians in the you know in the galaxy they're they're the ones there's a lot of crime syndicates but it's like not a lot of people dealing in people yeah and you kind of get inter- introduced to the kind of um uh lorna d's old old love interest or old flame bala uh, right. Uh, yeah. The old, the old <laughs> even that first scene is very telling of kind of Lorna D's fate where they're like riding on horseback together. Not horseback, I don't know. They're on like uh, blurgs and the blurg blurgs, falls yeah. on her. Yeah, blurg she's crushed by a blurg immediately. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, just ill fated. Like it just felt very Greek myth right there. I was like, Oh, Lorna D is just ill fated, like it's just not gonna go well. Yeah. For her. <laughs> It's true. It, wow. it, you know, something that we can talk about is is they tease throughout this audiobook whether or not Lorna D is going to, you know, turn good. And she's de- definitely similar to Kylo Ren, tempted by the light, right, at times. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. Did you, either of you, ever think that this might end with her 
joining the cause? I, I think she might. I think really? she might. Yeah, I... I well, here's what they've set up in this book, and we're past the spoiler wall. So, uh, you know, she's at the she's basically talked to a correctional officer throughout the book. She's kind of seen a lot of people lie to her, betray her, betray others around her. I think she's the backstabbing is weighing on her and mm. it's 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 getting to her. And I think uh, I think she's just that she's basically going to be have her last straw maybe in the next book, the next couple of books. I don't know, but like, I think she might be tired of the backstabbing, the betrayals and, and, and kind of just want to go on the straight and narrow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of where I think it's heading. Maybe. I just think she might have one more backstab in her. Yeah. yeah. She's definitely ready to do the ultimate backstab. She's primed to do the ultimate. Um, I think backstab. she's going to smoke Martian. Yeah, I do. I think I I don't necessarily know as a power grab move or as opposed to just an end the madness. Move, I, I think you know? I think she's in love with power. I I think yeah. Like honestly, she's not a. I mean, she has very um very good morals through most of this book. Like you know, makes a lot of good decisions that help the most people, sort of stuff. But I, I think I think she's like even before she got captured, she was power hungry. Like she wanted power, she wanted control, she wanted you know to to run the, you know her family's uh, organization um, and government. Yeah, that's you a know, really interesting point. I wonder if she grabs the power but turns the Nihil into something more, like just regular pirate like. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like like I, less, let's just kill everyone and use exhaust and poison people, and more of a let's be honorable pirates. Yeah. That's where I was hoping they were going to go with this book. I thought I was yeah. hoping she was going to go on some weird other path, you know, and just be like a pirate queen on a, on a, sl- a former slave ship. Like how poetic is that? Like it would, it would be really fun, but, uh, she, I don't know. And I think that they're playing the long con with that. I think she's got yeah. unfinished business, uh, with Mar Martian and Zitar and she's going to do something there. But I think, yeah, I think, or like, because she's taken that ship where she kind of went through a bit of rehabilitation, she might, then offer rehabilitation to others you know having having that memory kind of instilled in her that that this is where she talked to counselor Wittick. this is where she kind of had a change of heart things like that yeah uh, yeah i can see that i can also see a story where she she totally breaks good and she saves yeah. that ship because yeah. it's not the kind of cloaking heavily armed ship she had before that was far more threatening this is a correctional vessel like this is this isn't as threatening you know right like even though she's coming out of this book being like i'm gonna be the meanest tempest of all like it's uh yeah we'll see like you're gonna have to deck that thing out with spikes and add some armaments you know so yeah that'll be cool i hope they show that part where she's tricking out the uh uh, what's the reclamation the restitution restitution yeah yeah um yeah, she's pretty wild, man. I, I so she's back within the hill. We'll see. I, I think there's going to be something else there. I, yeah, I I'll try to save this question until we kind of wrap up the the book. But uh, I want to talk about uh, Pan uh, Ita for yeah. a moment. I, I loved. Yeah, let's talk the about vocal Pan performance Ita. Of yeah. that. <laughs> also, again, spoiler walls up. 
Why is he still alive? Just do it, Lorna. Why won't he die? <laughs> yeah, it's tough to kill Dude, Daru. He's he's even asking that question in the book. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, why spare me? I, gee, I love Pan Ada in this. He's so yeah, he's like down in his luck. He's like such a dynamic character. Whereas like if you saw him in his prime, he'd be kind of like a you know, one trick pony, but he like yeah. This he's like down and out. You see him in bars and slumming yep. it. And he's this challenge, yeah. like Shakespearean like character. Yeah. I, I think that was, that was my favorite thing about that was my favorite thing about Rising Storm was the kind of fallout and Panada like I guess escaping to this yeah planet that we now know the name of is called Sran Sran. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we finally learned the name of the planet that he ends up on at the end of Rising Storm. Uh, so yeah, this is worth reading if you this loved Rising Storm. You'd love this audio drama mainly because yeah. it, it it's a follow up basically, and the development you and just I, we haven't even broached the topic of the Nile and no. Asgaro, which I'm very excited to talk about because I think we get some new information, not a lot, still vague, um, but kind of showing the transfer of power and us better understanding. You know, it was very in media res with the Nile when we started with them. Marquion yeah. seemed like the head honcho, yeah. but what you find out is there was a lot going on right before the light of the Jedi began. Uh, that's kind of talked about in this book. Or in yeah, he's not drama. well established yet at that point. He had just taken yeah. over his, his father's yeah. empire. It, it's starting to make more sense now too. Like yeah. uh, Tempest Runner really added some nice context to Marquion Rowe uh, because you now kind of understand that he's just this first time leader of the, the, the Tempest Runners, the Nile. Um, yeah, and uh, and he's young, and he, I don't think he was ready for all the inheritance and and stuff like that. So, so since we're tar- talking Martian Rowe, um, I had been aware of his vocal performance because Mark Thompson does it in the audiobooks as well. Grant, I think you had heard it before too, because I think you yes. listened to one of the audio. I, listen, one ben, of them on I think this was your first experience with. The vocal performance for Mark Henry. And and what I want to say, Mark Henry, before we get into this, Mark Thompson is the voice of Star Wars audiobooks. He's been doing this for decades. He's amazing at all of these things. He's able to create very separate characters. All that being said, Ben, first thoughts about how Mark Henry sounds in these comics. Was it what you all expected? Right, yeah. Well, no, uh, which is the most important part is that no, it's not what I expected because... I last week y'all talked a little bit about it. So I was already going into this experience like, Oh boy. And, uh, I have to say I had an entirely different take on it and maybe right. it's because like, I, I know yeah. your thoughts to me. He's like this, like evil genius goth kid, like space okay. weird goth kid. <laughs> all right. And he's like, cause I you like get that. it when he's young, but he's just like, kind of like weird. And he's like, I'm going to kill you all with my wedge <laughs> trimmers, you know, like, just like All a right. weird guy, I sounds like, like Scott Evil, but okay. Yeah, he's like a like it's this disenchanted malice, and like that's his weapons. And it's so weird because we see all these characters from so many different authors at so many different times. Yeah, because we've had some like internal monologue of Martian Rowe before, and he's very calculating, and he's very yeah. filled with hatred, and um, but this voice. It's like a quantum leap to me. I, I think it, it it totally makes this 
I like your I like your interpretation. I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that. I like that a lot. That 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 is I like that. I think that's and and I'm guessing you called it. I'm guessing that's what Mark Thompson was going for with that character. Yeah, he just like smokes death sticks and listens to the space cure and um in like <laughs> rooms with candlelight. People like candlelight on a starship. That's what he's doing. Records. I mean, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and then when he's got Mari Senteke kind of like imprisoned on his ship like that's a pretty haunting ghastly thing just yeah walking right. around casually around that like that it does it does feel like a like a tim burton film at that point it does feel like this sort of like night nightmarish sort of um home life <laughs> it's just like mundane yeah. for him but it's like us as outsiders are like wow there's just like a, basically a zombified like elderly woman you know, strapped in a machine, and you have a Chadra fan, mad scientist running around. Like, that's a pretty like disturbing sort of just like everyday kind of like life on like the gaze electric. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing him smoking like clove death sticks and like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has like a leather jacket with a thousand pins. You know, I don't like being interrupted when I'm listening to my records. Yeah, it's the a space smiths. Yeah, the space smiths. <laughs> oh, hey. awesome! That's good times. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like Morris. He's losing it. <laughs> yeah. uh, That's very true. <laughs> Poor Morris. He'd he'd die if he heard you say that. Oh. You mean the Islamophobic guy? I don't really care what he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's losing it. Sorry. Anyway. Fair. F. Morrissey. Uh, moving on. Um, she needs the leveler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never expect my leveler. He's going to have to blow all their faces off. They're like, yeah, yeah. What do you got? Another Tempest hiding yeah. somewhere? They're thinking so small time. And he's like, no, it's a spirit demon that destroys the force. And they're like, what? Yeah. Well, Where so you know how come from? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know how like there, you, there's like that weird, you know, idea like you're always gonna worry about the quiet person in the room. Like he's definitely like the quiet killer yeah. in the room. Yes. Like, yeah. No, I, I, and I totally missed that with this vocal performance, and that's on me. And Ben, the second you said that, it all clicked in because it does connect. Because I that character as written is very calculating, right? And very smart. And I like how he's written as as a big bad. And I like that is a different type of character we've seen. It's not it's not a finger tenting palpatine. Right. And he uses his perceived weakness as a bait to ensnare yeah. his prey. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah. he wants to he wants people to underestimate him. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, especially this early part in his life, we see in the comics now, I mean, now he's like a big hulking dude. Like he's, he's a tall being. Um, yeah. And, and part of me wonders how much of that is just his costuming. Right. I feel like he's a lank. I feel like when you strip him down, he's just tall oh, and lanky. Right? He's just like Zetar. He has his own like tech suit. <laughs> no, I think like, he's just like a human wears a lot of like, cause you look at the suit he's wearing in the higher public ventures. There's a lot of like feathers Scarves. and other stuff going on where I think if you like strip him down, he's just like, he's just tall and lanky right like right which is totally what that character based on your description would be right right it's the star wars equivalent of like scarves and cardigan sweaters right like <laughs> yeah it, he's been he's piles. been described to have like ashen gray skin 
Yeah. yeah, he doesn't see a lot of sunlight. Black eyes. Yeah. He looks Dark like hair. a watcher on the wall. Like he's like in oh, like yeah. Swamp, yeah, black yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Martian. So, do we want to talk a bit about the? Since we're talking about Martian Road, do we want to talk a bit about what this what this book or sorry audio drama tells us a little bit more about his father, right, Asgaro, and and kind of what was going on there, and and pretty a lot about his fall and his death. Yeah, a, a lot more. All that, all those, all those details were awesome. Like it was so much fun to to see uh that the asgard rose fall not only his fall but just his early dealings with the tempest runners uh through lorna d's point of view like that was so yeah that was just a nice yeah. way to do that and um yeah it was cool to see the tempest runners trying to betray him it almost felt like caesar like it almost felt like you know the assassination yeah. of caesar in a lot of ways and uh and again lorna d sort of in this kind of echoing kind of um, um, moment where, the, where she divulges the, the, the secret plan to Asgard Rowe. And then he's like, okay, well then we'll just have this counter plan and we'll counter this assassination attempt or whatever. And uh, that was really cool. But then you, she, uh, I think Lorna D has an epiphany at that moment where she's like, man, Asgard Rowe will betray anybody. Like, if I help the eye in Asgard Rowe, and then later I think she finds this out with Martian as well, so they, they're basically ready to sacrifice anyone and everyone for the kind of radical, you know, diabolical plan, master plan that they've they're concocted. So, yeah, uh, it's not a good person to ally yourself, ally yourself. No, but I mean, so prior to this audiobook, and this is somewhat of a big revelation for a ancillary media project like in the last main run they did allude to the fact that martian i'm sorry that uh asgar Rowe was murdered and there's a lot of rumors about who did it yeah right but they straight up reveal that it was lorna d who who stabbed him and left him to die yeah. didn't they run some interference there with um the other tempest runner not Panada, um, Criffin, Kieran, Cassive, uh, Cassive. Thank you. Yeah, Cassive. Didn't didn't he take credit for it afterwards? Maybe there's a lot going on, but I, I'm fairly I certain. It, as much it actually as might, might have been in another book, but yeah, it seems yeah. pretty certain that like I, the way I interpreted that was Lorna D felt like chafed. She 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 felt like um asgard made her look like a fool yeah and um and she was just not having it and went and killed him yeah at least she was and on her way to but it did it as far as i know and then martian yeah. finds him bleeding out and makes his death even more painful we yeah. did so we learned that before was that that's like that's rising that's rising was that in the rising storm yeah. yeah. So what? So this that book, was through his POV. He actually like keeps stabbing his father, and kicking him, right? I thought it was like yeah, kicking, like, kicking him in the head. It's really gruesome. Because <laughs> I remember, I couldn't yeah. remember because I listened to both in audiobooks, so it's hard for me to separate what happened in one or the other. But I'm pretty sure, right? In Tempest Runner, they actually did tell the story up until Martian found him. So they kind of revealed that that part of the story. So that's a pretty big revelation in this, in this, in the you know the arc of the Nile or Nihil. Yeah. She she stabbed 
she stabbed um, Asgard in the Great Hall. And then yeah. What we learn, I think, um, in Riding Storm is that Martian came over and sort of yeah uh, took his time maybe killing his dad or whatever his father's the figure. The interesting thing was though they didn't do the scene where she kills him. Right. Right. She's like they do the conversation before, and then she's like, "I'm we have to go here right now." And then they do the sort of like post mortem of the assassination. I thought that was just kind of like an interesting way to go about it. It's like could have been the most tense moment, but instead they sort of just like leapfrogged it and did the fallout. Right. I'm not speaking Greek here. You guys read the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I also listened to it over a week ago, so that's what my brain's right. trying to. And, yeah, and I listened to it like yesterday. So yeah. So that's why I'm trusting you, and my brain's trying to reconstruct okay, it. Copy. And I yeah. also, as I mentioned, listened to this and the last main book as audiobooks. And so Mark Thompson does the voice of. So it's like a lot of like. Yeah. Wait, was that this or was that that? <laughs> yeah, but also Marcia and Rose starts kind of um, starts to dominate the scene and treat people treat people like less than um, right after that, doesn't he? Oh yeah. He immediately yeah. takes charge. This is. And he tell he tells Panetta he's gonna beat him with his own tusk, and Panetta's like, "What did he just say?" Like, yeah, he was like, "Marshawn Rowe is is really just takes charge immediately." Yeah, um, not messing around. Because you have to. They did a similar thing with um in I think the aftermath books with um, Hux the the junior. Um, what's his oh, right? Aldous Hux? No. Uh, Armitage. 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 Father. Father. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That is, yeah. that's right there there's a lot of overlap there between armitage and yeah because you're you know you're a weak person in a piece of, in a position of power right like how do you flex you know how do you how do you make people respect you when you're you know weaker younger yeah. smaller stupider like you know as far as they know well it feels and, very uh, much like the old prison yeah. adage right and you understand the, the yeah. power struggle in the the light of the jedi much better uh because you you now understand that before Martian took control, like the prophets were split three way. They were they were they were split to the Tempest Runners, the Path Engines, and then the Eye got yeah. the other third. And um and then Panada and Kasiv and the Tempest Runners all wanted to overthrow Asgard and they were gonna be like and so then Martian takes control. I think they were okay with Martian taking control of the path. And they thought he would be but, a complete puppet. Yes, they thought they could be he'd be a pushover and they could just take a bigger cut. And so then when you see, when you go back and read Light of the Jedi or read Rising Storm, and they're, they're sort of butting heads about who's kind of in charge of the Nile, you, you have all this it's, added context. Yeah. It is all about prison yard. It is prison yard. Yeah. It's all about greed. Like the rule of, was it the rule of three? No, what do they yes. call it? The, yeah, the rule of three. The yeah. rule of three. Not two, makes, not four, three. 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 <laughs> but it makes the most economic sense in this organization. Like every time they display yeah. to him, like that makes so much sense. This is a great system you guys have going here. Yeah, just this is a great keep racket. getting rich, but no, they don't. And this is what's going to be their downfall, I think, in the third book or the third part of the first part, <laughs> whatever we're calling this, the third part of the first <laughs> first phase phase of uh, the High Republic. Of phase two, yeah. I have um, a feel. I have a feeling. I know where this is all going. Where's it going? And I don't think it's going to end well for the Nile. And I think Ew. that 
I don't think this rule of three is something that's like a meant for a sustainable, you know, organization. I think this organization is meant to fall in and fall in a way that causes the most chaos possible. And I have <laughs> to think that's that's intertwined with Starlight Beacon. And I have to think that Martian's plan is to basically destroy the beacon. Yeah. Destroy the light in the galaxy. Yeah. That's to me, that's kind of where everything's going. I, I agree. I see the same thing happening. My question to you all is, or you both, is do the Nihil, as we know them, make it into phase two of the higher public? Uh, I think in a new form. I think they're going to take a new coat. Yeah. Different colors. Yeah. It's not going to be the Nihil we knew. It's going to be this weird, like, Sith dark or at least like dark side manipulating yeah um you know coven i'm 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 hoping that the the nile ends with their final um attack or their final siege or whatever that may be um i'm theorizing that it's on starlight beacon um and then uh after that i really liked what you guys were talking about earlier with lorna d sort of leading this new offshoot of the nile they're like these kind of benevolent uh pirates yeah. I oh, love be really that cool to do like robin hood in space yes actually. yeah that'd be fantastic yeah I, for us traveling through the galaxy that would be yeah i like that and i think there's room for that right in this galaxy is like maybe we get like a separate series with yeah. her at some point i i have a feeling the nihil do not similar ben do not make it into phase two There'll be remnants, of course. I don't think they're all going to be wiped out. But think of it this way. We were introduced to the two big bads of the galaxy of the Nihil and the Drengir. Yeah. The Drengir are gone. Well, they're contained. They're contained, but like really contained. Like that. Yeah. I mean, yes, they could break they, out again. They got them by the jubblies. Yeah. Right. Like they, yeah, now, they now we have care the leveler. The we have the leveler now. And that hasn't even. Right. But I think the leveler is a portent of something else. Right. I think what we're what. Yeah. I think what we're seeing is there's something more going on with what Martian Rose background is his family connections, some connection to the Sith, right? Some connection to the dark side. I, I, I think the second phase in this is going to introduce us to a newer big bad. Exactly. I, 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 mean, I almost feel like that might be the last chapter of the last book in the higher public series. Like, so like, like part of phase three, like the last thing you hear from this, this, this initiative, this this uh, era of storytelling, yeah. is the introduction of a dark lord. I agree. I don't Ooh. think we're gonna get. I don't yeah. think we're gonna get a Sith per se, in in this until the very end, where they tease us like, "I've been doing the pulling the strings. I am the architect of your pain, the High Republic." Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I um, am the leveler the whole time. I'm actually your half brother <laughs> from Switzerland. Oh wait, wrong series. I would uh, love the machination of like creating a dark lord from like a you're talking like an elevation of like a tribe of you know of of users like cursory dark side users and then like manifesting it into an actual dark lord that would that would be a really cool story. well you can even have a dark lord confront a jedi as long as the jedi dies exactly also which is what they used to. Do. Which is yeah. what they used to do in the old EU yeah. every time someone found Darth Maul. I'm like, well, that's not going to end. Well, yep, they're dead. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's interesting, right? Like, we know there are Force users out there who, um, I mean, we, we've seen them. And and I, 
I wonder if part of the story is, Grant, as you mentioned, kind of we get this Dark Lord at the end of the story. And I wonder if that end of that story is you, whoever's the big bad, I think we're going to get fallen Jedi who are dark side users at some point in this series. I think we're going to start teasing out some of that fallen 12. I know we have quite a few of them already talked about, but I think we're going to see some right. of that. The fallen 12 the was the 20 or 12, I forget. I can't remember the number this, 10, yeah. 12, 20. I don't know. 12, but, yeah. um, I wonder if, we don't get a we don't get a Sith Lord sweeping in and taking an apprentice away. At yeah, the you end know that because because there's there's lesser stakes because the Sith are unknown at this time period. So mm-hmm. it's like when we've seen lots of Jedi sort of fall to the dark for a minute or have some dark thoughts or yeah. you know, yep. I mean we've all we've all put our vote in that Reef Silas is going to the dark side. Yeah. yeah, but I'm saying is like <laughs> the difference is like there's no Sith Lord 100%. there courting them away right, and seducing right, them right. with ideas. If there was, he would have this would he'd be a fox in a hen house. It would yeah, just be exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, it would be just recreating the Sith army from way back when. Like you could right. just pick out, like, you, you, but they're you, not you, like you. Sith are biding their time. They're figuring out. They're practicing dark magic. They're in Exegol wherever trying to figure out how to live forever. That doesn't mean we don't have dark Jedi or dark force users out there, right. right? There's a vast difference between a Sith and a fallen Jedi. Yeah. Wow. And I, we've seen a little bit of that nuance with, um, we actually probably just jump right into it at the, oh, the monster temple peak. Yeah. Uh, uh, our favorite Jedi named. Ty. Ty York. York. Oh my gosh. Thank you for. We did it. That. It just had to cross Ty York, uh, <laughs> purple lightsaber. Yeah. And we, yeah. this is another story. So this is part two of um, this comic, uh, Monster Temple Peak. It's a denser run. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so we have her traveling up Temple Peak, as it were. Um, yeah. But she's a monster hunter. And we, and we get so much of her early backstory, too. I like how they do the uh, parallel storytelling here. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, this character is super cool. Uh, and it's, I just, I, that's, I, I remember we were first introduced to her, like when we saw the plots, right. For what we were going to get in the second part of phase one. And I'm glad we're seeing more of her because they didn't do a lot with the character in yeah. the books. So she had I a think, big impact. Yeah. In yeah. The Valo. Well, what's great about these books, I, first of all, I think these are the one of the most gorgeous comics on the shelves right now. Mm-hmm. I just love the white bordering uh, and then the the art and the panels um, with the nice border around. Um, just beautifully drawn. Uh, and also just so much about her backstory in these comics. Like we get the whole uh, Keyless Teradine influence on Tyoric. Uh, he, he's always trying to, to delve deeper into the dark side. Um, understand it and he's pulling her along on that that journey to right. understand the dark side against the wishes of Shabalt Shababa their their master um uh and I just love that storytelling and it's evolving with this sort of monster hunting journey of you know trying to find the Gretelax on this planet yeah uh and it's um it's it's so cool to see those interstitial flashbacks um and they're they're kind of they they play into the actual like real time storytelling too sort of uh, the whole 
trying to save that person and, and catch them as they fall. It kind of plays to, you know, um, she's kind of having these traumatic memories of Keyless Teradine and, and sort of mm-hmm. that's why she she messes up in that moment. And it's, it's like those visions are just plaguing her. She is more plagued by her past than I yeah. think any of the other characters introduced thus far. That's a really, really great analysis, man. You're so right. Yeah. But she's just constantly fighting the past in unison with the present. It's twice as hard for her to do anything with it. Yeah, it's it's a wonder she's successful on the many of these missions. It's like it's kind of astounding that she's she's able to overcome a lot of these obstacles. But she is a, a really, really strong fighter. Like obviously in Rising Storm, she's um major in that in the, the uh, during the Republic Fair, the the siege. Yeah, of the she Fair. takes down Elzar Man and Stellan Geos at the same yeah. time. Yeah, like she's... the two like studs of the like Jedi Order at this time period. She's no problem with them. That's that's some serious skill. Yeah, her yeah, and Elzar me. actually get pretty close in that book too. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, part of me wonders if we're gonna have this parallel storytelling throughout the series, where she is becoming more and more in touch with the Jedi. And we're losing other Jedi, right? Like, yeah. I feel like she's in some ways becoming like, I, I love how we're introduced to that character in the book where she's rolling die, basically decide whether or not to help people. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite things because I'm like, but you're a Jedi and you use force powers to do things. So my mind is telling me that she is at least subconsciously pushing those die in the direction to help people. Like, she can't admit that she's actually good and wants to help people. She's leading up to, quote, unquote, fate. Yeah, and so I don't... it's the will of the force. Oh, the yeah. Chance, chance cubes. Yeah, the chance cubes that she's, <laughs> I think, subconsciously, you know. Altering. Pushing to make sure she helps out the, the, the people that are good. Yeah, I mean, that would be ultimately the will of the force, though, if she just, like, let it go and. I don't think she is. I think she thinks she's is. And I think there's a subconscious level of her that, choosing. That would I, I think that's the most the most virtuous Jedi just yeah. just listen to the force. If I mean if let's say yeah. if she's doing that. I mean that's yeah, yeah. So the Qui Gon territory there where it's just like interesting. You know, that's really pure yeah. the force wills it. Force. Yeah. Yeah. Like the force that. wills it. Um and we're introduced to another character or reintroduced to another character. I think he gets a name, was it uh Druin? Uh, yeah, ruins. Ruin. So, I love force using characters that are not part of the Jedi Order. Yeah, and him and his entire race are one of them, right? Because he talks about being invisible, and he's just like, I think the quote I have here is, um, uh, well, we can kind of make ourselves invisible. It's not exactly a mind trick, but well, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so basically they're, yeah. they're racist forever attuned to the force and able to use mind tricks whatever to appear invisible yeah which is yeah. a pretty cool skill if you were going to develop one with the force mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's a total wannabe jedi like he's just dying yeah. it's a very like sancho panza sort of feeling. yeah yes yeah uh, uh-huh. yeah he he was a stowaway i think from blarum where she was like fighting gundarks or something and then <laughs> yeah. Now he's now he's here on Laura with her. Yeah. Um, loving this planet, to, by the way. Loving the adventure in this story. Just yeah. Laurum to Loras to these these planets that aren't you know Valo and Elfrona and, and and planets from the main books. It's nice to see these other. These other That's worlds. 
that's what I'm loving about. They're doing such a good job of world building yeah. in the ancillary stuff in the High Republic, where the novels that are pushing the main plot forwards are so well written, but these ancillary stuff is just like these standalone stories that just build the world. And I, you know, Grant, I think last week you had mentioned we hope the Ubisoft game is in the era of the High Republic. Yes. Yeah. And the more I think about that is how can it not be? <laughs> because everyone yeah. can be a Jedi. You're a Jedi and you're a Jedi and you're a Jedi. Like you can do yeah, that. And Niall and are like fodder, like Niall yeah. and Drengar, like yeah. perfect fodder enemy. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also a mention of the Zepho in this comic. Yeah, there is. Oh yeah. Uh, how do we get, how do we feel about that? Is another, they bring that back up. Um, Love it. Zepho yeah. were amazing. I love that reference. Zepho yeah. was my favorite planet in that game. And then the music. Yeah. On that, it, uh, this is Jedi Fallen Order. For yep. um, the music on that planet. My goodness. So yeah. Good. It was a bewitching planet. I mean, that's something that like yeah. video games can give you that no other media can. Like you feel like yeah. you're on the planet when you play that game. It's like we're, cold. we're just starting with video games. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty young medium. I mean, how long have you been? Video games only been around for like 30, 30 odd years. 40 years, right? Yeah. 80s. 40, 40 years, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say Fair about they're form. probably as old as I am at this point, yeah. really. Like I, we, <laughs> yeah. No, because we got our home, first home system, like uh, like our ColecoVision when I was like five. Yeah. yeah I remember that, that there was Atari pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, same here. So I think, you know, they're about as old as I am, but my dad talks about playing Pong in the bar all night long, so. Yeah. Yeah regardless it's yes it is a young medium medium making it is. already i'm like completely content with where what video games are giving me right now just, but they are starting to become an art form like yeah. like in a way that movies did right like if you look at the old days of movies they were just figuring out the medium and there was some stuff and then suddenly you know i i just watched the the cabinet of dr kogari oh, cool. uh Last night, which I had never watched, which is a blind spot for me, which is the first horror movie ever made, really. Mm. Uh, everyone should go check it out. It's free. It's online. It's like 70 minutes long. It's silent. It's German expressionism. It is much more interesting than I'm making it sound. Um, but it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is like the first step into figuring out genre. Like, it's just amazing. And, mm. and so German German expressionism, that's like the 30s and 40s, right? It's yeah. A... Like, this is pre-Nazi Germany. Um it's it's just awesome. Like if you like anything Tim Burton ever did, watch yeah. this movie. Because Tim Burton giant sets, yeah. big shadows, high contrast. Big shadows, things Start. don't quite make sense, all set design. But my point is is that that's about 40 years into film and right. we're about 40 years into games, right? Yeah. And we're starting right. and we're starting to see it as I truly believe as an art form in a lot of ways. Love it. Love it. Well, here's to hoping. Ubisoft. What are we talking about? <laughs> Where are we going? Our final, I think, our final Those... review for this episode's uh, Edge of Balance. Oh yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Basically. All right, our final review for this episode is The Edge of Balance, story by Shima Shinya and Justina Ireland, returning. Um, uh, art by Mizuki Sakakibara. Uh, beautiful, beautiful um, manga. The artwork here, um, stunning detail, really, really, really gorgeous character design, and just the the architecture, especially some of the Jedi temp, Temple on Banshee, um, just the ship designs, all that kind of stuff was so nice to see illustrated. Um, 
and the story overall was really really fun uh what'd you guys make of this one i really enjoyed it this is yeah. i think my the first manga i've ever read um so i was sort of struck by the lack of color and like the illustrations and so it really set a different story and also um in when i read the comics digitally i'm reading all these things digitally it can sort of it has frame by frame view but mm. they actually have a disclaimer at the front that says listen manga isn't read that way you have to read it page by page oh interesting and uh i was like okay so i did that and it actually it still was fine like occasionally i'd like just you know blow up certain sections of the page um but it, it mostly you could read things on full page form even on like an iphone um, yeah and things like you know and with that and sort of it was an enjoyable way to do it. I've got to get like an iPad or something to read these things on. Yeah. So yeah. Get it full, I, like the full appreciation, but it was still easy to, you know, easy to read, fun, exciting, early, like, like really love the uh, animation style or the illustration style on um, the use of black and white. Um, and it was, it was a great run. Great yeah, I, I agree. I was, I was before we were recording, it reminds me of like, when I was a teenager, just kind of going into all the shops and just picking up manga and just just zines and all this stuff. And and it's it's really great to go back and, and read this format. I haven't done that in, in so long. And it is unique, right? And and Ben, it's really interesting. You know, I've gotten someone accustomed to reading comics on my iPad and doing the frame by frame. But there is a bit of a learning curve when it comes to reading comics full page. And and I actually know this because I, I I teach a class, um, basically on on crime in the media is the, right. the entire class. But I actually do spend a section about co comic books and actually talk to my students about crime and, and comic books and the history of it. But I actually do have to spend an entire class teaching them how to read comics, <laughs> which seems somewhat straightforward. But when you when you're approaching it, it is oh, weird, right? right? It, you gotta yeah. learn. You have how to, to know where to go. Yeah, it's a bit of a choose your own adventure with the story. You've got to sort of know which frame to go to next and yeah. how to read bubbles and like wh who's speaking when. And yeah, um, deep, I would have I loved that story. Yeah, it's such a deep layered story. And, and some of the action is sort of hard to file follow um, I, I, when the Drangar Drangir attack the, the village that that felt sort of hard to follow. But then there, in other places, the the panel work in this manga is exceptional uh early on when and and the structure the pacing of the story is actually beautiful too uh early on when um uh lily sort of uh says oh we're gonna plant these seeds i hope a storm doesn't come and then conveniently uh mm -hmm. mr zar 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 zarket or yeah mr zarket i think appears mm. and uh we later find out he has a lot to do with the, the nefarious plot ahead and then later as transition work where it starts to rain and the, the she gets dark visions and it's just really really beautiful kind of paneling um between those the, the actions there and it was easy to follow and it just is super engrossing and so yeah i can see how someone some people could bump up against this if this is their first manga but at the same time there's just such beautiful i think um pacing and yeah um, sort of illustrations and um, design work that sort of draws you into the story yeah. as well. Yeah. Can and we can we talk about Lily? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to do it. No, go for it. She had something else going there. Nope. But, no, uh, no, no. Because you started to break into it, and like Lily herself, 
the one thing I, I loved about this character, she seems young, but she's a Jedi Knight, and no yeah. one talks about the fact that she's young. <laughs> she's just no. like she's a Jedi Knight. They're like credit where credits do. You're you're a Jedi, and that's it. But she she looks cl- she and the ironic part is that she like doesn't like dealing with young life, but she right. doesn't. She looks like she's 15 or something, you know? Yeah. Um, as a full fledged Jedi Knight, whereas like was it is it not uh vernestra Rowe, right she's 15 and, Je- and jedi knight and like that's the core part of her identity exactly the main focus is how mm-hmm. young yeah. she is yeah yeah there's a lot thought- that, that theme is huge in, in the story too the sort of like the impulse uh naivete the id of the younglings versus their focus and and versus their sort of their their poise and and trying to learn and understand what it means to be a Jedi and, and use the force and use your lightsaber. They're sort of, their minds are elsewhere. Their minds are wandering. Yeah. They want to mm-hmm. be at the Republic fair. They don't want to be here. They're constantly looking for adventure and excitement, whereas they're not really honing their connection to the force and, and trying to understand what it means to be, uh, to wield a lightsaber, to be a Jedi and things like that. And so, yeah, Lily doesn't want to, She's she's kind of struggling to teach these younglings, but I think she is going out of her way to to try to set them up with the best sort of oh, challenges and, and, yeah. and trying to be an example for them. So you two things. One, she's a perfectionist. She's just that perfectionist student. Like she's always trying to get better. She's always trying to learn. She's super humble. She respects her master. She's always looking for instruction. It's just like a never ending download of knowledge for her to get better, which is like that's a very mature way to look at life um but yeah yeah jedi duties and responsibilities were huge in the story another theme where it was like what is our responsibility as a jedi like what do we do um and then what's our like what are the what's the list of priority like the the jedis have like a priority a list of priorities like they're utilitarian in their sort of listing of what they need to do for people like oh yeah the world is being destroyed uh we need to we need to move these people to a new world to settle there uh, like, like if you think about what they can do uh, in the order of what would be the most good or, or bring the most good to the galaxy. And I think that was that was cool to see, to see how yeah. our Arkov was moving these settlers to uh, this planet um, that's escaping me right now. They're um, Banshee that they're on. Yeah, right. Banshee. Yeah. I, I think the, the like the biggest moment in this for me was the lightsaber soliloquy you just touched on it grant Mm. but they like they she uses the like lightsaber as a metaphor for balance because she asks her master why you know if all we're meant to do is defend why do we like have this like weapon of mass destruction just like and so easy to kill and harm people with it Yeah. yeah exactly and um i think the answer that she comes to is it's like well Yes, you know, we always have the power to do harm, but we choose to use it to defend. And then it's a tool for defense and protection yeah. and help and, 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 you know, helping other people. I thought that was the crux of the whole episode. And yeah, and agree. Really that. important because it's a question that begs an answer in Star Wars, right? right. Jedi uses their weapon only for defense. Then why do you have a laser sword that can cut through anything? Right. right, like it, it is meant to dismember and maim and kill, and maybe that's part of. We get a bit of that in the earlier higher publics where it can 
disarm someone without killing them, right? Because it right. automatically cauterizes wounds. But it's right. still a vicious weapon. Yeah. It can be yeah. a vicious weapon at its heart. So I, I really latched onto that as well. Like, it really started and, and, to make it make more sense. And later in that issue, I loved when the younglings come across the, the Bansheeans in that bo- bonus chapter and draw their yeah. sabers. And Lily says, lower your sabers slowly. If you're driven by fear you can cause more harm even when you're trying to protect someone. Mm. And I just yeah. love that line because that really stands true in a lot of cases that, you know, it, in life where it's like, even if you're trying to do something for the right reasons, if you're fearful, yeah, you know, and then he, I think during her saber training with Kieran Fion, her apprentice, her like real, her true apprentice, like the younglings are basically just, yeah. I guess they're visiting or something, but like right, or aspiring Padawans. Yeah, they're aspiring Padawans. Right, but she has a Padawan. She has her. her look, yeah. Looks her same age. Yeah. And, yep. and then I think she says when they're dueling, she's like, you need to uh, trust your like instinct to win or you need to trust. Like, um, I'll find that line for you guys real quick, but it's yeah, like, because that lightsaber fight was amazing. It was like, they were kind of evenly matched and then she tipped it with a thought. She like gave them an idea, a new way to like think about lightsaber combat. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's sort of like you need to look yeah, down, you, use the force, look down the path to see the future of your victory. Yeah. Re- reading your opponent's moves, anticipating their yeah. actions. This is a form of expression. Dueling is more than just wielding a weapon. You must trust your intention to win. And yeah. I thought that was so true because, I mean, like, I, I I grew up playing sports. I'm sure you guys played some sports as well. But, like, you know, when the pitcher throws the ball and you're you're, you're looking at the, you're watching the ball and you're going to hit it with the bat, it's like you, you the second you doubt yourself during that pitch, you're not going to oh. hit that ball. Yeah. You've got to yeah. trust yourself that you're going to make contact. At some point, you have to give you have to you know yeah. uh, surrender yeah. surrender to the force you have to surrender that you the swing has been completed and it's going to connect yeah and, i mean my yeah. version of that and oh boy am i going to come across as way hoity-toity and i don't mean to but i was on a rowing team in high school yeah that's a even, even then you find it, a it, groove and you surrender that's the thing something. and yeah. what i learned in that is once you start thinking about it and doubting yourself that's when you get out of sync and you either put your knee in the back of the person in front of you or you, or get, you a get a knee, knee in your back. No. And it is, you learn that very quickly, but it's trusting yourself, right? Losing yourself into it and losing yourself into yeah. the pattern of it and trusting in everyone else and not doubting. Cause once you doubt yourself or someone else in your, in your right. crew team, you're it's, yeah. it's going to hurt. And that is from, from personal experience, that is a, that's a self-fixing problem because you get two knees in the back and yeah. you're you're never like, gonna make right. that mistake again. Yeah. All right, but That's overall, good. my hot take on this on this comic is that it's a horror movie. Like this yeah. is a horror story, hundred percent. I was gonna say the Drengier, I think, are the most intimidating. I've seen them, and yeah. I think part of it is this them is being spooky. Written is drawn in black and white incredibly yeah. spooky yeah so uh, should we talk about the one new thing this is we get like a yeah. massive expansion of the can yeah. right here yeah, yeah yeah that the drengier can turn people into wood yeah yeah and they seem yeah. to talk about the fact that it's something about this planet is unique about yeah. doing this they kind of do a throwaway line that i'm guessing that like just see ireland had to be like we got to put this in here because we haven't seen this before yeah but I, I love that addition, and, and yeah. I think it's really unsettling. Yeah. Uh, Take the galaxy bigger. Just, 
it's just like yep. when you really want to like if you want to assign a genre to this this story i think you'd have to say horror mainly because the main character is having nightmares yep. check, check yep. that box yep. main character is having night nightmares there is a mysterious farmer character <laughs> who's basically coming to plant some seeds on this planet mr kuba and uh he it disappears he vanishes instantly like <laughs> like they land on the planet and they're like where did mr kuba go He's, yeah we haven't seen him and, you know? and, and towards then, the end there you get the to be continued state yeah. where you see yeah. a nile helmet <laughs> in, yeah. in a cubby hole basically where it's just like yes. oh and i you know i will say that i did not realize this was part of a series when i when i got this i thought this was just a standalone yeah and it's, it has one right in the front of it but when i got to the end of it and it said to be continued i was very happy and i think that is a good side of it where i'm like ooh, there's there's more there's lots coming. more of the forest to explore adam yeah yeah <laughs> that's like the last line of this comic yeah <laughs> like there's we still yeah. have to explore this and forest guys what's I in think... there maybe nile maybe possibly maybe. I, don't I don't know but i think we're getting the second volume in uh february and i think it's um it's the same it's not just seen in ireland it's 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 uh, Shinya, and I think uh, Daniel Jose Alder is pairing with with that author. So that's yeah, it, it seems like they're like they're in a regular rotation where yeah, you know they do each you know you do a comic and then you do a novel and then you do like yeah. you know manga and then you do a young adult reader you know young reader story like they're all sort of ping ponging through these universes and and like sharing the story and I think we're all going to be richer for and, that. I agree. And I, and I love the fact that they're still holding on to Shinya. Shinya is the main author of all of these. So I wonder if they're pairing that person with them with various authors of the higher public, just so that they have a little bit of guidance or guide rails of like, this is yeah. where the main story is, but you know, do your thing. Cause I'm really enjoying the thing that they're doing. Cause there's so yeah. much overlap, but there is progression. And yeah. And a standalone story and, and being able to do things we haven't seen before, as you mentioned, with the turning people into wood. But this is this story is so smart, though. Like, it, it basically does do the whole Mr. Kuba is possessed or has these infected by the spores of the Drengear. And yeah. he's turned he's turned to wood. And there's like duplicates of him. I guess at the end, it's revealed there's like lots of wood, mm-hmm. wood people. Kubas. Yeah. And then. um, uh. Or yeah, I guess there are other villagers, and um, and then you get the monster attack. I mean, this is you get the big Drenger attacks them. Uh, you get talk of the progenitor. That story is really kind of wrapped up for us yes. at this point yep. in terms of the mainline uh, High Republic run, the uh, comics run, where uh, we know that Avar Chris led a bunch of Jedi to Melita Mulatu or Melitu to fight the the progenitor. Yeah. Um, and put an end to the the Drengir. Um, yeah. And so this kind of wraps up. But what's great is just the, the kind of like, uh, who's the mysterious conspirator? Who's the the secret Nile, you know, mole in in all yeah. of this story? And sort of seeing that Zarket guy kind of in the background and where they put him in the panel throughout the issue in like, in the background of specific scenes where they're in, like kind of questioning Kuba or like it's just it's fun because he's always there it's fun when you actually you get a payoff where there's lots of foreshadowing to that payoff and i think that the foreshadowing was non-stop in this issue and it really takes going back and re- rereading it to see where they put that that mole you know 
in in, yeah. in the cup. Yeah, yeah I love I love that. I thought that was really expertly done by Justine yeah. Ireland. And, uh, well, if episode two is or the next issue is uh, in February, I probably will reread it. And uh, yeah, for sure, the swing be a fun reread. Rad. Um, I think we talked about a lot of High Republic tonight. It felt really good. Um, yeah, shout out to Ruru, the archivist, and then that's my final shout out. <laughs> Way to go, Ruru. Um, yeah. Final shout out. Um, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this. Um, I'm glad you're paying attention to the High Republic because it's really cool. And uh, we've decided that the next video game is going to be High Republic, and uh, yep. so that's going to be great to be in this world now. You're to be for uh, warned is to be forearmed. And I think we're going to run a Force and Destiny uh, tabletop game, Ooh. possibly live stream it, that will be set in the High Republic era. Yeah. And so if we're going to do it. Taking the Force of Destiny rules and just transplanting them there using their if we're, we're going to do it, we're definitely going to make it available for people yeah, to it'll be watch yeah. it, stumble our way yeah. through it. Yeah, absolutely. This is crafted by Grant himself. Yeah, um, I'm excited. Should be. It'll be an original story. It'll be an original story, a spec fan story. Set <laughs> I know all rights are not reserved for us. So uh, <laughs> spec spec fan High Republic story, but nonetheless original. Um, yeah. Dealing with information you know about in fun ways. Yeah, Grant has quietly been working on this uh, for weeks and yeah, uh, for a know, while now. Yeah. Yeah, excited. And uh, we'll actually start our campaign. Will begin after the Rising Storm, uh, and uh, use all the information from the books that you've been reading. So every event that's happened in the books will be a, a part of the actual campaign. In, uh, in I feel one, like I one way or another. No, you won't need to because it's just it's events you've already <laughs> read them. There'll be there's loose knowledge. I'm sure you'll be able to yeah. pull it back when you need it. Right on, man. That's gonna be can't wait. That's cool because you know all these books are there, and it's like you want to almost experience those events from different angles, as we're seeing in the comics, as we're seeing in uh, the other ancillary books to the main novels that are kind of releasing. Uh, it's cool to see these see these events from other angles, and to especially in um in edge of in edge of balance. And these stories where they're talking about the Republic Fair, they want to go to the Republic Fair. Right. They're elsewhere. They're elsewhere in the galaxy. They're not going there. They're on their own mission. That stuff's fascinating. Yeah. So far, all these stories have had like a lot of synergy, and it's cool. Yeah. You get those like off-angle point POVs. It's like, oh well, we'd love to go help out on Balo, except you know we're fighting the Drengir or something. Right. You know, there's, a, and they they've done a really good job sort of layering these stories. And um, yeah, and you know, we got this, you know, this time around, we get some before we get, we've already got prequel material, like the early Lorna D stuff. We get the prequel to the beginning of, you know, the great disaster. Um, already we're getting prequel material and then, you know, at what comes after and far before and all that. Um, they just got a really, done a really good job layering this time wise. For sure. Anything else, gentlemen, or else I'm going to wrap this one up. That's it. Nope. I think that's everything. All right, we did it. Um, there's more High Republic. It's always coming out. Um, was it uh, Republic Adventures? High Republic yeah. Adventures just came out a two days ago. We're going to um, do that later on. Uh, as we stated earlier in the pod, and we're sticking with it, next week we're going to do a pillar because we haven't done one in a while. And we're going to talk about um, good and evil in Star Wars. It's, you Love know, it. in Star Wars, 
distinctly has to have a good and evil battle. It just does. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about what that means next week. So join us then. And um, for all y'all, may the force be with you. This is Grex Kondak signing off. For the latest breaking news, follow at Core World News on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you and good night. Remember, the force will be with you always. <laughs>